Blog Talk Radio. You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now, you've found it. This is Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world. With your host, Alan Smith, a veteran of OTR trucking, business entrepreneur, and the most recognized name for assisting CDL students and new graduates. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Truth About Trucking Live begins right now. Welcome back to the show. Today is Thursday, December 1st, 2011, and we will all have to wait a little longer to learn what, if any, changes to the hours of service rule will take place as the FMCSA in a filing with the United States Court of Appeals District of Columbia Court on November 29th stated it will roll out its new proposed truck driver hours of service rules within 30 days. So, this has been going on for a year now, as the FMCSA first mentioned their proposal for changing the, H, uh, the uh, HOS rule back in December of 2010 with an original deadline for July 26. So I guess we can all hold on for another 30 days to see what, if anything, happens. So appreciate you turn, tuning in to our show this evening, and I'll pass it over to uh, co-host Donna Smith, who I'm sure has some updates and announcements for us. Right, Donna? Hi. Hi, everybody. Hi, Alan. Hey. I had the phone on mute again. Uh, anyway, um, hello. Uh, I have a couple of announcements here. Actually, I've got a few. Um, on the cross-border program um, on November 23rd, uh, the um, uh, there was a lawsuit filed to block the U.S. Department of Transportation from opening the U.S. border to Mexican trucks through its cross-border pilot program, uh, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, Public Citizens, and the Sierra Club challenged the program in the U.S. Court of Appeals uh, for the D.C. Circuit, and they claimed uh, that it waives uh, a law that trucks must display certain proof that they meet federal safety standards, breaks the law requiring the pilot program to achieve an equivalent level of safety, because Mexican drivers don't have to meet the same physical requirements as U.S. drivers, breaks the law that Mexico must provide simultaneous and comparable access to U.S. trucks. Uh, Mexico cannot do so because of the limited availability of ultra-low sulfur diesel fuel in Mexico, so that's a pretty big deal. Um, It breaks the law that the pilot program must conclude enough participants to be statistically valid, Um, The suit argues that FMCSA's proposal ensures that only the best Mexican trucks participate, which would allow, uh, well, it would actually allow to justify letting any Mexican trucks over the border in the future. Um, And also, finally, it doesn't comply with the environmental requirement of the National Environmental Policy Act. So anyway, there's that lawsuit going on. Um, We lost uh, someone very dear, Charlie Douglas, uh, founder of the Road Gang All Night Trucking Radio Show, died on Thanksgiving Day. Um, He was 78. 
Uh, he was a legendary announcer and was actually named um, Overdrive's Disc Jockey of the Year in 1973. And tonight we have uh, Todd Dills and Lucinda Coulter coming on from Overdrive. Um, actually, I read the article on the uh, Overdrive Retro that Lucinda had written. And um, if you can get over there, it's a really, it's a really good article. Um, he was already a veteran when he started the Road Gang um, as he first uh, did his broadcast in um, Monroe, Louisiana in 1953. And then he was inducted into the Country Music DJ Hall of Fame in 1994. Um, on Monday, December 5th, we have uh, a big meeting over in um, Washington. Actually, it's... Uh, um, Alexandria, Virginia, which is right outside of Washington. And we have Fred Schaffner um, again making the trip up there. He um, he wants to be the voice for us as he is uh, recovering right now from a stroke and he's been doing a lot of research, which Fred has always done a lot of research. So this is... Uh, this is really great for for him, not his stroke. He's doing much better, but the fact that he has uh, a lot of time now. And uh, he'll be heading up to uh, Virginia for this meeting with uh, the FMCSA and the MICSAC and the Medical Review Board. Um, it's They're going to be speaking about the EOBRs and sleep apnea, and there's also a couple other things. Uh, let's see, I, I have the schedule right here. Might as well just uh, look at it. Let's see, on the 5th, we've got uh, the EOBR Implementation Subcommittee, Subcommittee Draft Report and the Technical Workup Recommendation on Task 11-04, and that's uh, for the EOBRs. And then um, accept discussion of the OBR subcommittee report and work group recommendations on 1104. On the 6th, they'll continue to have various um, discussions over this and also the roadside severity ratings, uh, ratings in the SMS. On the 7th, they're going to have um, task 1105 the development of regulatory guidance on obstructive sleep apnea and this is this looks like it's going to be pretty pretty good i wish you could go to this one obstructive sleep apnea and cmv driver safety the evidence addressing obstructive sleep apnea in cmv drivers and screening for obstructive sleep apnea in cmv drivers and uh the cardinal manifestations of sleep disorders. So that that's going to be um, pretty heavy on Wednesday the 7th. Um, Thursday, they're going to have an introductory mark on Task 1106, which is the hours of service, and it's going to be in regards to the motor coach driver research. So it's the introductory remarks on Task 1106, the hours of service requirements for passengers carrying vehicles. And, let's see, oh, um, <laughs> there's negotiations going on be, with uh, the freight rail companies. It looks like we might have a strike going on. Um, let's see, the Chamber of Commerce Vice President of Government Affairs, Bruce uh, Justin, said in a letter to lawmakers that was obtained by the Hill that Congress should step in to make sure 
that, you know, this strike doesn't happen. Uh, they had a cooling off period and weren't supposed to, you know, do anything until February. But now uh, they're free to roll after December 6th, and it could be pretty um, pretty, uh, pretty bad for the economy if they do go on strike. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to read this to you. A national freight rail strike against the country's two largest railroads could begin as early as 12 a.m. Tuesday morning if a settlement is not reached before then. Two unions representing engineers and dispatchers in the ports of Long Beach and Los Angeles have turned down an offer by the railroads to extend bargaining into January, adding they could not imagine an extension serving their members if an agreement could cannot be reached before the mandated 30-day cooling off period. So we're just going to have to wait and see for that, but that's uh, that's pretty big, Alan. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, and finally, we are in the process of getting the uh, Truck Driver Social Media Convention second annual together. Uh, we're still deciding on a location. We did the survey, and I'll tell you, it's neck and neck with all the locations. We had Dallas, Kansas City, Atlanta, and Tunica is really right behind. That's where we had it last year, which was outside of Memphis. So everybody seemed to have liked uh, Tunica also, so they're still a, a runner. Um, if you want to take the survey, I believe it's still on Facebook. We'll put another link out tonight and uh, get a few more a few more uh, votes in on that and we'll see where we're going to have it but anyway that's uh that's underway just go to truckingsocialmedia.com and there's a sign up form and this way you don't have to keep ch- uh checking back at the website you can just like sign up on the sign up form and all these updates will come to your email so that's truckingsocialmedia.com um, just you just fill your name and your email, boom, it's done. And um, whenever anything comes up, it'll go right to your email. Uh, anyway, well, that's it for tonight, Alan. Okay, our show this evening is Overdrive, History of the Truck Owner-Operator, <clears throat> with our guest Lucinda Coulter, Managing Editor, and Todd Deal, Senior Editor of Overdrive Magazine, as the uh, magazine continues its 50th year anniversary celebration. And we're going to take you back to the as far back as – the 1930s, when the trucking owner-operator first began to come on the scene, what it was like then compared to what it's like now, and we'll talk more about the crucial role that Overdrive Magazine has played in the lives of owner-operators and the trucking industry as a whole. And Lucinda is also the head editor behind Overdrive Retro, the website for the 50 years of trucking news and coverage for the magazine, uh, located at overdriveretro.com. And, of course, Todd is also the host of the Overdrive Online Channel 19 blog, that you can find at overdriveonline.com forward slash channel 19. Our number, 347-826-9170. That's our call-in number, Overdrive History of the Truck Owner-Operator. Our show this evening coming up on Truth About Trucking Live. You're listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Alan Smith will be right back. Someone fired a gun, 
Any cook hollered, Big John's coming, save yourself and run. Don't hesitate, contemplate, save yourself and don't slow down. Don't grab your stuff, ain't time enough. Big John's coming to town. Big John's coming to town. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here with Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. There is no big balloon payment at the end, and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. And be sure to tell them that you heard about them on Truth About Trucking Live. Hey drivers, how many times have you finally decided to take a break from the sleeper, follow the signs of that hotel just up the road, and when you got there, they didn't have the parking space for a big 18-wheeler? Well, if you're like me, it's happened more than once. Aggravating, isn't it? Well, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. Hotels for Truckers.org was created by a trucker for truckers and is the most comprised database for hotels across the country which offer parking space for commercial vehicles. No longer take a chance of whether or not that long-awaited hotel break will accommodate your big rig. Know for certain that you'll be able to get in where you can fit in. Choose from thousands of trucker-friendly hotels stretching across the nation, and you can also get great discount and specials through HotelsForTruckers.org. Included in their extensive database are the addresses, phone numbers, and direct web links to the hotels. And if you use a hotel only one time a year, you can take advantage of the $10 annual membership fee, which allows easy access to view hotels that offer additional CDL trucker discounts, nationwide hotel chain discounts, and even room coupon specials. As a professional driver, you have enough stress to deal with out on the road, so have the peace of mind knowing that the hotel you choose will have all the driver amenities that you need. Hotelsfortruckers.org, guaranteed in making sure you get in where you fit in. That's Hotels, the number four, truckers.org. All right, welcome back to the show. Our number three four seven eight two six nine one seven zero. Welcome everybody hanging on the lines and listening in. Appreciate it. See you all there from Colorado, Idaho, California, Mississippi, across the country. Appreciate you tuning into the show. Our guests, Lucinda Coulter and Todd Dills, managing and senior editor for Overdrive Magazine. Fifty years of trucking news. Lucinda, Todd, welcome back to the show. Hi, Alan. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing good. It's uh, good to have you back on here. Are you all getting ready for the holidays? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm, definitely. <clears throat> yeah, ahead, a lot Todd. of that going on for sure. <laughs> well, now, are, are you all are both uh, are you all both in the same place there in Tennessee? No, I'm in Tennessee. I'm in Nashville, and Lucinda is uh, in Tuscaloosa, actually, in Alabama. 
Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I know you had the, both had the same uh, area codes there. So, well, listen, glad to have you with us. And Lucinda, uh, you know, ladies first, let's start with you. you okay. Uh, you know, you have you have some really great stories over at OverdriveRetro.com. That, I mean, it really takes drivers back in time and, and can get you to remembering the good old days of trucking. You know, I mean, uh, you write about the 1970s. B model Max with a duplex or triplex tranny and a driver at the age of 21 who bought his very first brand new Kenworth for thirty one thousand dollars and 1974 drivers were paying 18 cents per gallon for diesel and wild truck stops of the West like Al's truck stop out in California back in the early 60s just so many great stories you you must really enjoy managing OverdriveRetro.com I mean it, it would have to be a fun job for you I would think well it's been it's been a real education, and um, I've just so much enjoyed really um, hearing the stories that the truckers have sent in and talking to them on the over the telephone. You know, you can um, even though even though those things happened to them twenty and thirty years ago, forty years ago, um, you can hear the passion in someone's voice and the sincerity over the telephone and uh these guys put their hearts and souls into their into their businesses that became their lives and so yeah it's and and they um they may not have had air conditioning and and like you say you, the first story you mentioned um Bob and I'm not I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name but uh Bob Tiacha from um Pennsylvania uh, was the one who who shared the story about the B Mac and how difficult it was to shift. And even though those were hard days for them, um, they wouldn't give anything uh, to replace those days. They they loved what they were doing and they were proud that they hung on and stayed with it. And you know, many of the truckers who rode in to Overdrive Retro and submitted their memories, trucking memories, um, are still trucking today. A lot of them are. So yeah, I, wow. I've uh, really enjoyed it, and continue to, you know, we continue to seek um, stories from truckers and and uh, truckers' spouses. So yeah, it's it's um it's a great thing. I'm I'm I was happy to be involved in in that 50th anniversary year. Well, do you hear that same passion in uh, the uh, the like the newer drivers in the industry today? Todd, you want to take that one? I I know oh. I know my answer to that, but Todd, you. How <laughs> okay. you... Uh, I would say uh, I mean it just depends, uh, really. But you do hear it. Uh, a lot of the like like Christina said, uh, a lot of guys that um, guys and gals really that uh, that yeah. she ended up talking to for the Overdrive Retro uh, side over the course of the you know the last year and a half or so. Um, and when I was going into writing uh, the feature that I that put together on kind of kind of owner operator bid small history uh, that was in that that uh, 50th anniversary issue that we did, when I was going into that, a lot of the guys that I ended up talking to are folks that folks that uh, she had made contact with over the course of that year, you know, and uh, with some anecdotes that they had. And, uh, a lot of those guys uh, weren't uh, you know weren't weren't um, uh, as uh, you know as old as. Uh, uh, no, like like the said, weren't retired yet. You know, they're still still driving. Some of them were were you know fairly young, 
and forties and and thirties uh, and forties and um, a lot of passion came you know kind of came from everybody that I talked to for that story really I mean it was a uh, you know it's probably a situation where uh, you know, folks that that, uh, that that come seek seeking out the history are you know by very nature passionate but I would say that a lot of the a lot a lot of the folks I talked to on on uh, day in and day out have the same have a similar passion for it. Uh, not an across the board thing, but you know, uh, large majority, I would guess. Well, well um, yeah, Lucinda, what's your thoughts? Well, one thing I noticed: um, a lot of the truckers who um, who went into trucking because their dads or their families, even you know, some of the some of the guys I talked to came into trucking because of their mothers. Their mothers were associated with trucking in some way. They may have worked at a trucking company. Those who had family connections especially, um, you know, they wouldn't con- they were tied to trucking because of that and they wouldn't give it up for anything. I mean, they and they would tell you, you know, that's my life, that's my love. Um, so it was just in one uh trucker in a in a trucking family, a produce hauler uh, from from South Florida, uh, Brian Kimball told me. He said, you know, if you've ever been around farmers and the small the um, the owners of the, the small farms, not the big conglomerates, but the small farms, small, small family farms, he said they'll um, you know that they keep going despite all odds. They it's a matter of pride and. And he compared it to that, and I, I think that that was true with a lot of uh, the truckers. Uh, one, this is a little bit off the subject, but uh, I just wanted to share this too. When we're ta- while we're talking about uh, the passion, their their passion for trucking, um, John Stewart is the one who wrote about Al's truck stop among the wildest. He he talked about a. a a fight he saw going in on his first stop there at the truck stop, and and then the owner uh, invited him to a cup of coffee because the owner could see that he had frightened this young um, young rookie trucker. John Stewart's brother read John's piece on Overdrive Retro, and um, and wrote me about it. And it turned out John Stewart's brother uh, is a former sports reporter at the Los Angeles Times. I'm pretty sure about I, I got the right paper on that. Um, but And he said, I was just surprised to see that my brother could write and would write about his tracking experiences. So uh, that's yeah. something else that I've noticed. Um, you know, and, and this gets to the, your question, uh, what about truckers today? Um, even though I've noticed about you know current truckers, they may not like to talk to the media, but once you ask them, or they may not be practiced at talking to a reporter, but once you ask them something about their interests, uh, they really many of them really open up to you, and uh, they may look tired and worn out at the truck stop, but ask them a question about their business or. Or anything else about trucking, and suddenly they they find some new energy. So, I think there are a lot of of um, truckers today, even though it's 
uh, I know conditions are seem discouraging to them. Uh, they still love what they're doing. And, you know, that I know that's not true for everyone. Some decide that um, it's not a profession for them. And we talk about uh, driver shortages right now. But, but once uh, a lot of them get hooked on it and don't want to give it up, that's for sure. Yeah, it gets in your blood, and you know, we talk about the you know the men and the guys and the you know the the, the rugged male truck driver, but you have you have a, quite a few stories up there at at um, uh, Overdrive Retro. Uh, actually, it's Overdrive um, OverdriveRetro dot com about with some women that uh, that go back pretty far, like in the '60s, and uh, so you know we kind of got to always kind of remember you know the 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 uh, female driver isn't something new. They've been around quite a while, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, and those, um, one uh, lady especially, I I probably can, can find her story, but uh, her name was Ellen, Ellen Hill. Um, she sent in uh, a story almost as soon as we put the first announcements out of, uh, seeking uh, seeking trucker memories and uh she was act- and, and and this is not an unusual for the way women get into trucking oftentimes she had been a nurse and uh she taught uh she gave CPR instructions uh at truck stops and finally uh truckers told her you know you should you should think about trucking we think you do a good job and she went into trucking. She became an owner-operator herself. Um, she'd had some other experience driving uh, farm trucks and, and hauling horses, but um, she just she was a trucker for ten years and then went back into nursing. But she ended with um, huge respect for the trucking profession and the kind of you know it. it, it she was very highly organized and. Um, she appreciated the kind of precision that truckers have to have to to keep up in their in their profession. But um, she just she had a great story, and yes, the um, the owner operator, and you know that's something I noticed also during the year um, as I went back through the old issues, Overdrive, even though it it does seem kind of uh, male-oriented, Overdrive always made an effort to write about um, women truckers and the kind of challenges they faced. Um, I know as the year went along, different women owner-operators or or um, former truckers would write and tell me what a horrible time they had when they first started trucking in the um, 70s and even early 80s at first finding a clean women's restroom at a truck stop or finding a women's restroom in the truck stops. And Overdrive wrote about that. Um, in a lot of ways, the um, the year's work I had delving back into the magazine gave me a lot of renewed respect for it, uh, for the magazine and the kind of effort it made to to have all voices in there. So... Yeah, and, and actually, Overdrive uh, was started by a uh, driver, right? Correct. Oh, absolutely. Right? 
Yeah, Mike, and, uh, Michael Parkhurst was a was an owner operator. Um, um, hauled uh, produce like a lot of the a lot of the early owners. I think he did some other things too. I'm not uh, totally clear on on the early on, on like the very particular stuff about his early business, but I know he was uh, he did haul uh, un, unregulated produce uh, in the fifties and early sixties, and then broke away uh, to, to start the magazine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, kind of as a uh, I guess at the time there wasn't really a um, there was there was very little kind of official recognition of, of the fact that owner operators uh, really existed. Existed <laughs> as a, exactly uh, as, as a uh, you know as a, like a, a phenomenon in the trucking industry. You know, single truck uh, haulers, uh, uh, mostly unregulated commodities like produce, but also um, you know in lease arrangements with carriers and, and such. The industry was very uh, dry. Uh, Driver portion of the industry was dominated by, uh, and and the driver's ability to influence uh, the government was dominated by union, by the Teamsters mm-hmm. Union, and um, owner operators in large part were, all not not totally, but in large part were not not part of that, uh, particularly the uh, the, ind- the independent uh, produce haulers, but um, but yeah, so so basically the overdrive was founded as a kind of a way to, uh, as one of the folks I talked to for the piece, uh, an operator by the name of David Margison, who's uh, still still hauling potatoes, actually. Um, he he calls it uh, the magazine, put uh, put the owner operator for the first time, you know, quote-unquote, on Main Street. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. uh, That's so, a neat way to say it. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I think because, uh, I mean, I mean, overdrive, I mean, we're talking 50 years now of trucking, and uh, just about anything you want to try to research or find about trucking in the past or present or whatever you can find in Overdrive. I mean, Lucinda, I was on Overdrive Retro, and, I mean, y'all were even having an article. Todd mentioned the Teamsters, and that kind of jogged my memory. You even had a, uh article about, uh, as Todd said, you know, the truckers at that time really weren't a part of the unions and Teamsters. And uh, there was even an article up there uh, about Jimmy Hoffa. Oh yes. I mean yeah, y'all were just no. y'all y'all made sure y'all just covered everything. <laughs> we covered a lot. <laughs> I don't know yeah. writing about that writing about that might have made me nervous or something. Yeah, in the early days I, I, Parker's was the magazine was very kind of uh you know, kind of went out and searched for the muck on uh, on anything that had to do with the union. <laughs> uh seems yeah. like anyway. And it was uh but, uh, and it's like it's kind of like how the oh, article yeah. goes. I mean, back then, you know, they weren't really a part of the Teamsters, but now they uh, that uh, that has changed a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, the, let's see. The, the uh, Overdrive did so much reporting on the Teamsters that um, Time Magazine reported on Overdrive. <laughs> and it's, yeah, I saw it's, that. Right. So the old story. Yeah. And, yeah. And, it, um, I think that 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 made you know just the reporting the the depth of reporting. Um, there was a reporter named Jim Drinkall who later uh, went to the Wall Street Journal for a while for you know because he was uh, he had a lot of experience by then doing investigative reporting. But um, I think that 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 period of that kind of reporting really 
uh, impacted the owner operators. It helped the, the, those who were uh, wanting change felt like someone was thinking about them uh, mm-hmm. through overdrive and and the Independent Truckers Association and they. You know, they they um, the different groups of the Independent Truckers Association marched uh, various times for against the unions and marched uh, in their state capitals. And so it it um, I think just the reporting alone and the the funnel that the owner operators felt they had through Overdrive. You know, Overdrive used to publish dozens of pages of of uh trucker letters uh that were you know on these subjects on about uh deregulation and the teamsters and the the kinds of uh the kind of threats they would get and uh so it gave them an outlet and they felt you know they felt like someone was sticking up for them and and it helped them stick up for themselves more as well i i think Oh yeah, I'm sure. Well, uh just it's just really interesting to go through back in time like that. Let's uh let's uh let's grab a caller here real quick so they're not holding on too long. We'll go um all the way up to Idaho, area code two zero eight. Uh welcome to the show. Thank you. How you Gary? doing? Pretty good. Yeah, we can hear you fine. I'm in Texas. <laughs> okay, I'm going by your area code. Ah, that's fine. I just remember uh, my dad telling me, you know, he was a, a bed bug hauler in the 50s and 60s, and all the, the trouble they had back then really isn't much different than the trouble we're having now. So what did he, uh, what, what was the trouble uh, back then for him? Well, Do you remember you, a particular story? You had people people chasing you and telling on you, you know. Wow. He took his my mom with him one time, and supposedly the ICC would hire these college kids to follow the truck drivers around and and report on them. Okay. And he got a call oh, wow. at a woman in the truck, you know. And then really? they're always complaining about fuel prices. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's still the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's not changed. No. Well, I take it you've been driving a while? I've been driving since 1993. Have you? Okay. Is it, it, was it the, kind of the same situation we were talking about earlier? You kind of uh, grew up in it, or did you just jump into it with both feet? Actually, no, I never grew in, grew up into it. My uncles and, and dad did it, but they got out of it because mm-hmm. of the pressures of the job. But at 13 years old, I just decided that's what I wanted to do with my life, and and that's what I am now. I'm an owner operator with my own truck and trailer now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, you're a full owner operator. Well, so uh, well, so give us enlighten us a little bit about what's it like. Uh, especially you have your own trailer and everything. I mean, what what's it like right now for the for the owner operators out there? I think the, the the new truck drivers are the inner city kids. They're bringing them the young kids off the streets, but the the owner-operator nowadays has to be really business savvy. He's got to count every penny because fuel is so expensive and there's so much competition out here that it's all about getting fuel mileage now. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not about getting turning them loads fast. You still got to do that, but you got to be more consistent, and you got to be more conscious about your costs. Yeah. Hi, this, hey, this, this is, is Donna. I, can I ask a question? I'd like to ask this gentleman a question. Sure. Um, sure. Uh, you know, there's, and I was gonna, you know, and Todd jump in too. Um, there's a lot of uh, walls that the owner-operators seem to be facing. You know, they, they've got the, the cheap freight, and then now they've got, you know, CSA, EOBRs, EPA, um, the high cost of fuel. Uh, do, do you find each one of these things, um, you know, a, a, an additional challenge? Do you ever think about saying, okay, you know what, enough is enough. I'm getting out of this. Or do you just take each thing in stride and adjust to it? Well, it's usually when I settle down over it. The technology on the trucks, I've got a 2005, and and, and when I first got it, it was always in the shop. So I was ready to just save the heck with it, go back to being a company driver. Well, brand new Uh, truck, always uh, in the shop. Yeah, it's not so much now, but... uh, That's good. I, I know. I, I feel sorry for these guys coming in. The government's so involved in truck manufacturing now, and the EPA—they're just making these trucks so smart, and everything's hooked up to one electrical system. That oh, I was talking to a friend today, and he was telling me that his truck has over 800 sensors on it. Wow! Wow! One of those goes wrong, and you know, yeah, you, then you have yourself a. Yeah, have yourself a problem, right? Absolutely. And when you can get out of the shop for under $500 these days, you're, you consider yourself lucky. So. Well, yeah, but apparently you're adjusting, so you're hanging in there, huh? Yeah, I'm hanging in there. I've learned how to take the government out of my engine. And uh, <laughs> we get, I run the spot market how, right How did you do that? <laughs> how did I do that? I, yeah. Well, I've got an 05 that's have the EGR. And I found, and there's a friend of mine who has discovered a way. He puts the barometric pressure sensor into its own environment, and it shuts the EGR system down to seven percent. It actually puts a vacuum around the sensor, and it yeah. shuts the EGR down. Interesting. What do you What do you haul? Do you go? Are you in long haul, or in what do you? Um, what kind of freight do you haul? I'm a Landstar BCO pulling a dry van, and my wife okay. is a Landstar agent. Okay. I see. That's great. Uh, yeah. How long okay. have you been with Landstar? What's that? So how long have you been with Landstar? There's a lot of guys who like it there, for sure. Oh, yeah. It's, I've been here since 2002. Okay. Long time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I hear a lot of good things about Landstar. They're a good company, and... All right, well, hey, appreciate the call, and um, uh, be safe out there. Wish you best of luck. Let's go to, um, well, let's see, where do I want to go here? Let's let's jump over to uh, Colorado, area code seven two zero. Go ahead, you're on the you're on the show. Hi there. Hey. Hey. How Is are this you, Kari? Hi there. Yes. Hi, Kari. I can recognize your voice. <laughs> yeah, we had a few conversations. I don't really have so much a question as I do a statement or a speculation. 
growing up in the 70s and the strike and the impending railroad strike, I just wondered if you had any ideas what the impact on the economy and the trucking industry that's proposed railroad strike might have coming up next week? Uh, how wide so how wide is the railroad strike? Because I haven't this is the first I've heard of it of it in your um in, in your intro actually. I probably should have had um, my my ear tuned better. Yeah. But, uh, Gotta get on the ball, Todd. <laughs> I know. How how wide is uh, is the uh, well? Actually, it just it really just came out, Todd. I mean, um, okay. uh, I got a uh, an alert from. uh, Kari, was it you that sent me the alert? I did. Okay. I was going to say I got an alert from somebody, and it's so great because we've got so many great people, and you know they send us little, hey, did you read this? Did you read this? And you know we're all hooked mm-hmm. up with Google Alerts, but we have our own alerts with all our uh, all our Facebook family. So um, anyway, Kari sent the alert, and um, I looked it up, and the latest one was six hours ago um, about the the strike. So <clears throat> it's pretty new. Um, yeah. Anyway, but it's kind of scary. I mean, they're really talking about, you know, doing this. They, mm-hmm. Unless they can come up to an agreement. Um, they were like all the major say, too, yeah. Huh? It seems like all, I was just reading a little bit on, online here. It seems like it's all the, all the major railroads, more or less, and all the uh, all the unions involved. <laughs> yeah, nice. it's, it's, wow. But anyway, they were saying that uh, they, owner-operators should be very picky on freight now. Uh, I read that on one of them. I read about four articles. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, a lot of times they settle those things, but, you know, just getting started, we'll wait and see. But, you know, how? I guess, you know, <clears throat> through 50 years of overdrive, how many times have you heard about strikes? Uh, it seems like every week, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. We, yeah. yeah Somebody like, calling for one somewhere. And they, you know, they rarely achieve. Uh, in the owner-operator world, they rarely do any any good for anybody other than sort of uh, the me- what media coverage they may uh, they may bring up in yeah. the mainstream. Um, yeah. Oftentimes, the ones who've who have been who have gone on strike um, regret it, and they say the violence, even even though there there were never. Um, you know, a huge number of deaths that resulted. That still, the just the threat of the violence and whatever violence occurred, whatever, whoever's um, people were roughed up. You know, most owner, a lot mm-hmm. of owner operators uh, spoke up about that. That the violence isn't worth. I mean, it, it just isn't worth it. So. Well, no, no, we don't ever want violence, and thanks, Kari, appreciate it, but, you know, there, there's always a talk about strikes. You know, it's never going to happen here, I don't think. I mean, for one reason, not that they don't want to, but to put that, um, you know, to, to put that hurt on the country, I think, plays a big part in it. I mean, you have the, yeah. the hundred or so, the hundred or so owner-operators that will strike from time to time and, and get their yeah. name in the paper, but nothing ever really happens, and and the most difficult thing to make why it won't happen is um, there's always somebody on the sideline ready to jump in the truck and go here in the U.S. Not like the other country where they can shut down the whole thing. <laughs> right. I mean, the owner the owner operators. You know, I mean, the, the collective bargaining is not really a possibility. 
<laughs> you know, because these guys are these are independent business owners. So striking is kind of like just an open invitation for uh, some other owner operator to take your freight. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, even Rich Wilson told me a quite funny story actually about the uh, '79 shutdown, when, which he participated in. And yeah, it was the same story. You know, he was an owner operator at the time, and uh, sure enough, uh, here come these other guys that, uh, that they know they're from the area and you know, <laughs> down know. the down the road with their freight on the hook. You know, so oh, dear. It's, uh, yeah, yeah that, I mean that's how it is. It's not like you know in South America and the UK and where we hear all these other things. You know, I mean they they can literally shut down the country, but uh, you know I just can't see that ever happening here just for that they, reason. And yeah, they uh, probably have like a real strong, real strong and widespread union participation there. I would imagine. Oh yeah, well, and you know there's so uh, so much difference between these other countries and us. You know, but. Yeah. Um, well, you know, let's let's go back a little bit on this retro, this this 50 years of overdrive, and I mean the um, you mentioned the the owner operator really came on the scene in the 1930s, right? Well, yeah, I mean in the early days it was uh, it was real easy. It was after the first Motor Carrier Act, which regulated uh, most freight and, and lanes, it was real easy for new businesses in the early days of the truck, really uh, new, really easy for new businesses to get rights to haul. Uh, so. Uh, a lot of a lot of big companies, big freight companies today, start out as a guy with a truck. Uh, you know, had some money and, and you know, invested in this new technology, the truck, and started uh, got rice to haul a particular commodity on a particular lane or a particular set of lanes, and and just went at went after it. You know, and added trucks along the way. One example, of course, is Schneider. Uh, started exactly that way in like 1934 or something like that, but. You know, by the time Overdrive uh, came around and uh, and launched, like the opportunities for new businesses like that were were really limited uh, because the entire country, uh, the interstate system was was you know had started to be built. Uh, the entire mm-hmm. country, in terms of the rights that you had to be granted by the federal government to haul uh, particular commodities, all of those were paid, basically taken. So the only way to get rights was to uh, to you know negotiate with another carrier. or so entry into the business as a single truck owner operator, except for in the produce uh, hauling market, was almost impossible by that point. And so uh, when Overdrive started, that was one of the big, uh, that was one of the sort of unstated but, goals. But wasn't, made, it, wasn't it true right? though that people before 1935 could be grandfathered in? In other words, if you were you were yeah. small, okay. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean. Uh, that's yeah. That's an that's an area that uh, I can't, can't remember the, all the particulars on it. But there's all every time there's like a new set of of rights. So there's, there's a certain amount of grandfathering that goes on for sure. Um, but you know, so overdrive comes along in the '60s, and um, and and I think it's one of the unstated goals of, of the magazine from, from the beginning was just kind of to to fight for you know enhanced uh, a more free kind of entry marketplace. You know. Uh, a more free uh, entry into the to the business to haul regulated freight, uh, which mm-hmm. didn't happen until you know, for for another twenty years. But along the way, things opened up a little bit, bit by bit, and, and uh, uh, like trip leasing became pretty uh, pretty easy to do. Uh, trip leasing with a regulated carrier, uh, hauling under that carrier's authority for one trip. Uh, and it was pretty easy. Became pretty pretty easy by like the end of the '60s to to kind of make a living doing that. 
I know a lot of guys that did uh, with with just a truck, you know, and, and hauling hauling other carriers trailers and uh, that kind of until, thing. Until until the companies figured out that they could make more money leasing the truck than than uh, right. hiring the, the carrier on the the yeah, owner operator on. Right. That then that became uh, yeah, that that became pretty uh, pretty widespread too, and there were a lot of abuses of that. As I mean, as there. There are we hear about uh, hear about abuses today, of course, but uh, there can be a lot of abuses of the least the least kind of arrangements, and and it was like a, it was a way for a uh, for a you know union carrier to get out from under the you know, quote unquote get out from under the back of a of, of the union itself, uh, and boy boy paying guys as much as they're worth that kind of thing. So there's a lot of a lot of that uh, going on as well, and in the 70s. Uh, when Owner Operator Independent Drivers Association was formed, they were pretty instrumental in getting the, the leasing regulations on the books uh, at the end of the, the decade. And uh, likewise, at that, at that time, uh, a lot of the deregulation that uh, Overdrive's founder had advocated for came into effect in, in a much more radical way than than uh, he had ever expected it would, I think. And uh, that, mm-hmm. that kind of changed the game. It opened things up, made it a lot easier to get that operating authority, but um, at the same time uh, made the, the sort of competitive environment of trucking like uh, just like it had always been in the produce market uh, and the unregulated uh, hauling market, uh, which is pretty pretty uh, darn cutthroat, I guess, is the only way to describe it. It came throughout the 80s, a lot of folks know, pretty hard to, hard to uh, stay afloat for a lot of guys. It was sort of a double-edged sword there. But uh, yeah, yeah. Just, oh no, I was just saying. So, I mean, Overdrive came on the scene in, if I ha- remember right, 1961, right? 1961. Yep. Yeah. yeah so by 1961, uh, owner operators were already uh, were already experiencing struggles even then, uh, and still still uh, still experiencing today. Sure. Oh yeah. I mean. In sixty one oh, in sixty one it was just very hard to uh it wasn't it was it's next impossible for a single truck guy to to get into to start a new business with his own authority. Uh, you know, like there there was no way to do that except uh to haul produce and, and only produce more or less. Um and uh you know that it's just basically a limited opportunity, uh totally. So deregulation just opened the doors wide open for everybody. Right, right. And that was, you know, in some senses that's a good thing. Uh, it's very easy to get your authority today, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Fairly, anyway. But uh, getting the customers is the, is the, is the other problem. And, and the competition today is, is, is fierce and uh, much uh, much more so than it was in, the, in those days. Like deregulation, a lot of people characterize the sort of rate, think that, uh, there's a rate dynamic after deregulation is the race to the bottom, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody uh, cutting the rate, trying to undercut everybody else to the point where it's like, you know, profit margin is very thin today. Uh, wasn't like, I was, wasn't I was actually reading somewhere that, um, like, the the big companies, they were actually, you know, there was a lot, of, a lot more um, ethics that they – abided by uh back then right they called it like you know like gentleman agreements and you know everybody sure. respected and then that all went down the tubes 
once um, deregulation. Once everything is opened up, yeah. So there's always pros and cons to all these things. Um, You know, with anything, you know, something starts out as good. And, I mean, you could just off the top of your head probably think of five things that started out (laughs) as good. And and then somebody's going to figure out a way to exploit a situation, uh, find loopholes, yeah. to benefit themselves and they don't care everybody who else gets hurt. Yeah, and everybody then everybody tries to copy them and they see the results of you know, so Yeah. yeah it's uh it's uh you know, it's it's kind of the you know, everybody people always talk about the free market, right? I mean that's what uh that's what uh it's kind of uh, one way to characterize deregulation is move toward a you know truly free trucking market, I guess. That's, you know, we can debate that for a long time, of course, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, good and bad, of course, for for folks without a lot of uh, a lot of you know capital on hand. One guy, uh, Dave Markson, again, I always think of what he's what he told me. You know, it's like uh, after deregulation, it was like, well, you know, everybody's owner operators, a lot of them, I and mean, not everybody. Oida, for instance, made up of owner operators, of course, didn't you know was opposed to it because. Uh, because they could see what it was going to do to the to race, which what I talked about before. But uh, Dave Markson and, and some other guys that I've talked to, you know, they all were you know, like, I remember being really happy when I saw about that. You know, it's all about the opportunity to re- represent, you know, the opportunity to, to go out and very easily get your authority, uh, run your independent business, expand, you know, if you, if you can. But, you know, the reality was that uh, the, what happened was after deregulation, the ten trucks fleets. All of a sudden, they've got a hundred trucks, and the one truck mm-hmm. guys uh, can't get a good freight rate on 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 a, on a round trip haul, and are just kind of struggling to survive. You know, they can't have any trucks because, like Dave Martin said, you know, what are we going to do with one truck? Uh, mm-hmm. That kind of thing. So it became a became a struggle there, and you know, some people uh, some people found their way through it. Some. Uh, uh, some were, you know, less lucky, of course. But, but since then, I think um, the caller earlier sort of illustrates uh, yeah. the focus of any successful owner-operator business really well, and it's just like this a laser-like attention to uh, to cost. And like, just mm-hmm. be, you got you got to be really smart uh, about everything that you do, uh, from from your fuel mileage to the the, the loads that you choose, planning. Planning your loads like in a smart, smart way, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys out there. You know, owner operators still very much alive, of course, and um, many of them, uh, so many out there, uh, I talk to a lot, uh, doing really well, uh, mm-hmm. uh, particularly, uh, particularly today in, in a lot of shorter hauls, uh, a lot of niche specialization going on. Uh, guys hauling to natural gas sites exclusively, stuff like this, natural gas wells and uh, wind turbine towers and you know, all kinds of different. I mean, there's all all kinds of different niches that folks are specializing in and, and doing really doing really great. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think. Well, Todd, uh, you wrote uh, you wrote a really great article. Uh, uh, you mentioned it earlier. Didn't say the name. It's given a detailed timeline breakdown on trucking history called Breaking Free. And um, I would yeah, urge every driver to summarize. I pretty much just summarized it right there, more or less. Huh? <laughs> I, I, telling, retelling that story in miniature, I guess. But yeah, 
Go ahead. Oh yeah. Well, I would I would urge every driver to read it, and you can you can find it at overdriveonline.com forward slash breaking dash free, and we also have the link to it up on our show there. But I, uh, it's interesting. It really tells the story of what owner operators have gone through in the past, and and the further struggles are you know they're facing today in the present, and mm-hmm. and breaking free. I, I mean, it begins with a stranglehold that the Teamsters had on the trucking industry in the fifties and brings us up to date to 2011 with the stranglehold that so many new regulations all in the name of safety I guess as you put it now has on drivers yeah. but it's a great it's a great article but you know I was looking online today that you know Bison Transportation in, in uh, Auburn Maine is yeah, shutting down well. it's shutting down its long haul trucking operation because they can't find additional owner operators I mean you think it's due to all these new regulations having that stranglehold or well, just the, their geographical yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, that that was an interesting story that I saw popped up. Um, I didn't I didn't write it, uh, but I was interested in it, in that they were they were shutting down shutting the sort of long haul operation, and um, and I, I believe they also have have uh, have, have a, another wing that uh, focuses on more local kind of freight. And like I said, I think that's where that's uh, I think that's where a lot of uh, a lot of our rappers are, are gravitating away from the away from a lot of the big long haul stuff, and I may be wrong about that carrier uh, because they're not one that I'm uh, really really familiar with. Um, but um, I think a lot of the a lot of the opportunity is in is, is in the short haul work, and and a lot of the rates are better in the short haul work. And my my guess is the reason that if the carrier can't find owner operators today to lease on, um, and the the solution to that is is uh, is pay. And you know, of course, if the carrier can't afford to pay uh, a certain a certain uh, rate, then you know, that's that's of course a problem uh, for them. And and uh, but you know, I, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, regulations probably have a, have a have a burdensome effect on 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 uh, on carriers' ability to pay. Of course, uh, you have to spend all your time uh, uh, making C, uh, CSA data queues challenges. Uh, you got to pay people to do that. Every carrier of any size probably has a full-time person or two uh, working on that day in and day out. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a pretty uh, uh, pretty interesting time that we're in right now. It's, it's hard it's hard to say how how we're going to all look back at, at it in you know 20 years, 30 years, or 50 years from now. But um, I think, like I said in the story, like that may be. I mean. I, you know, if I think about it right now, the, the whole safety enforcement industry, quote unquote industry, um, uh, is is kind of maybe the sort of biggest force operating on the on the drivers today and on the on the industry at large, um, taking up time, taking up resources and money uh, that could be going to pay drivers better and owner operators better. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's an interesting time for sure. Well, you know, another question, you know, there's a big thing, and I don't know if you were able to listen to our announcements, but um, mm-hmm. there's another there's another meeting, um, the FMCSA and uh, Mix, yeah. Mixtech, and that's, you know, they're, they're still talking about the ELBRs, and yeah. uh, uh, th- this, I would believe, and tell me if I'm wrong, um, and Alan, you too, uh, I would think that if um, they were mandated, that would be a, a tremendous strain on some small fleets. Um, 
you know, just the cost along with, you know, adding up everything else with, you know, the ECA sure. and and, uh, and then the hours of service. Yeah. Yeah, with if the that changed. Yeah, with the EOBRs, I think it would be particularly burdensome for, like, uh, you know, the the ten truck fleet that all of a sudden has to outfit all of its trucks. If, if, if he's got much, guys got a bunch of company drivers driving for him, ten truck fleet doesn't really have uh, probably operating a pretty lean margin. You know, investing in ten EOBRs is going to be pretty uh, pretty tough. And, and uh, one truck uh, one truck owner operator. Uh, if I know a lot of guys are out there opposed to it, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of sort of cheap, uh, inexpensive solutions to this, but that uh, you know most folks don't try just because it's uh, unless they're forced to. Uh, but a lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys end up liking these VRs once they get a, once they get one in the truck. Uh, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Well, just the cost. Though, I'm thinking of more in terms of yeah. the initial initial cost for owner operators. Mm-hmm. But, but there are cheap there are cheap solutions out there for. For guys that uh, that want them, you know what I mean. I mean mm-hmm. There, there are several. They don't get a lot of publicity because uh, uh, everybody that's opposed to them always wants to to quote the the really expensive. Quote the uh, most expensive. Yeah, everybody wants to everybody wants to make reference to that because it because it, it proves a point uh, for them. But but there are inexpensive solutions out there. Uh, they're not you know they're not no cost by any means, but they cost a certain amount. A month, but uh, you know, we're talking like a twenty-dollar addition to a cell phone bill or something like this. But, um, but yeah, you I mean, mean like renting them, leasing them. It'd be a situation where you pay. Uh, yeah, you rent. You rent a black. You're basically renting your black box, and then you're paying. Uh, you're paying your cell phone company to uh, uh, for uh, a certain kind of certain addition to your service uh, to make I it see. work. But uh, yeah, there are there are several like that. I've written about them on my blog uh, from time to time. If you go uh, go to Overdrive and maybe search my name and EOBRs, you'll find some okay. stuff I've written about. But uh, it's interesting, you know. It's just it's an interesting area, and you know a lot of people on both sides of, of the coin there. Um, mm-hmm. Now, like you said, there are the technical specifications uh, for for that. Uh, well, the devices are, are what they're talking about at the uh, at the Mixac meeting next week, and uh, I, I believe they're, they're revisiting that again. Um, and you know, it seems to me, looking at what they're doing, that that they're just because the court vacated their limited mandate rule, it seems like they're just going to try to get the, the full mandate in, in the best order that they can. Uh, to satisfy the court, and they're going to probably try to go for that, uh, which we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I, hope that, yeah. I, I don't know that they should be. I, don't, I think they should be voluntary, for sure. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's going to be an interesting meeting. I know that um, yeah. Fred Chapner and and I believe JB is going to be there, and there's a few other drivers. And by yeah, the so way, um, drivers are going. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I think it's 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 awesome and. Especially they're going to have the the sleep apnea. Um, we've got yeah. some questions, um, you know, to to be read. And cool. <clears throat> but uh, this this was all part of you know what what we were trying to achieve with um, 
the convention this past October. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's nice to see it rippling out of out of a meeting like that. Oh I yeah. Read, read a little bit about that on the blog too, and um, oh yeah. Other other driver stories too, like the like we had yeah had Ed Webb on on the, the show here, and his story actually has has become a become a topic of discussion among some other drivers. Uh, the sleep apnea, the away. sleep apnea yeah. gentleman. Yeah. Right. I remember. Yeah. I remember. I, I remember talking to him uh, on the show. The the guy just pounded on his door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His story has become kind of a, like a conversation piece among uh, some drivers and uh, SPCSA regulators, uh, just kind of about uh, the subject of, of what some of these individual states are doing that that kind of goes above and beyond what the what any federal requirements are, you know. So there's not a lot of clear federal guidance now, so it's, it's, it's kind of like free-for-all for the doctors in the states out there on sleep apnea. Uh, so, yeah, that's a topic of discussion at, at the next tech meeting next week. Also, CSA, severity weighting, you know, the points that they give you for um, all the little violations they find them during inspections, uh, a lot of debate around that, and so that'll be up for discussion too. And uh but yeah. I think it's gonna be a great uh a great a great meeting. Um they've got a lot of very very hot topics going on and yeah, I'm glad the drivers are 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 getting involved and the ones that can't make it I, I actually forgot to mention um Fred's email. He he said to write them. It's mm-hmm. silver surfer underscore T X that's T for Tom and X at ymail.com and if you have a question or a statement and you want to just you know send it to them um that's silver surfer underscore tx at ymail.com so i'm glad we brought that up because i I did forget to mention it in the announcement yeah the the problems with sleep apnea are you know this isn't something new it's been an issue that trekkers themselves have become more and more conscious of and and they're the ones wanting to know, well, what are the regulations going to be? Yeah, <laughs> and, sure. and so I, it makes sense to me that they're, they are paying more and more attention and almost like demanding from the, the FMCSA, let's get some clear direction. And, and I, I uh, you know, I understand that kind of frustration on their part. Definitely. Yeah, sure. Well, Lucinda, while you've um, while you do your research and go back fifty years for overdrive, is there any uh, like favorite story that stands out? Oh, favorite story that that would be um, hard to say. Just one favorite. I'll, I, I'll let me let me couch it in these terms. One that uh, one story by uh, Gordon Al. Alkiri, Alkiri. I'm I'm not sure of the pronunciation, but he's uh, still trucking. He's from um, Kansas. Uh, he's he's a native of Kansas, and he still lives there. Uh, but I think it uh, kind of typifies or maybe summarizes of many of the truckers' uh, attitudes toward their profession and why they still love it. Um, and I'm I'm reading here, but um, from a piece he he sent in, but um, he said that that at truck stops 
people used to come to them, the the um, servers from the truck stops used to come out to the truckers and bring them their cup, cups of coffee in the mornings. And this is, you know, this was 30 and 40 years ago that he's talking about. Um, but this is what he what he wrote about the ladies at the behind the counter. Either she or someone from the truck stop would knock on our doors and hand us a cup of coffee at the same time in the mornings. He said we were knights of the road and we were treated like it. And um, that's just I, I think that truckers really appreciate the the ones in the profession or the ones that they meet along the way who who um who respect them who show who uh, uh understand the difficulty of of their of their tasks of their jobs and their businesses and and uh that's just i've heard a lot of that kind of um sentiment from truckers so that kind of sticks with you i guess yeah, and that's true. I mean, I can attest to that myself. I mean, and, and to add to that, you could uh, back back then you could go up. I would walk up to the fuel desk, and uh, the girl or guy behind the fuel desk, and I would say, I would tell them, uh, "Hey, I need to get up at 5 a.m. and uh, give them my truck number," and they would come out and uh, knock on your door at 5 a.m. with a cup of coffee and say, "Time to get up." That that was my alarm clock. Yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's what I mean by the good old days. But those days are kind of gone now. Yeah. Hey, Alan, uh, I got to let me break in here real quick. I wanted to just say um, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to to jump off the line here, and um, and I wanted to just say that anybody that has any particular questions for me, um, if they just uh, email me at the tdills at rrpub.com or find me via the Channel 19 blog. Uh, that'd be great. I apologize. I um, I just reminded about uh, 45 minutes ago that I'm supposed to be somewhere in about uh, 20 minutes. <laughs> That's okay. Our time's winding down here anyway, but we'll 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 okay. catch you again. Yeah, and listen, appreciate uh, you coming uh, on. Listen, I'll talk to you soon. And both of you, all you guys. You Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me. Bye. All right. All right. Well, Lucinda, the time's winding down here anyway. I mean, you you have the your website you want to get out, or any phone number, or anything. Um, sure. Just our um, Overdrive Retro is um, OverdriveRetro.com, and uh, if any if any trucker would like to send me memories, just like um, uh, ones did of their their own personal trucking memories, um, and send photos of their first trucks or old trucks. Um, and it doesn't have to be ancient memories. It doesn't have to be 40 years old. It can be 10 years ago. Um, those are important, too. And um, so send them to me at lcoulter at rrpub.com. Um, that's just the first initial of my first name, Lucinda, L-C-O-U-L-T-E-R at rrpub.com. And uh, I'm... I love to hear from truckers about their memories on the road. Uh lo- love to hear their their uh, stories about their favorite dogs. We've got a contest going on about that right now uh, that soon will be wrapping up. So um just look forward to hearing continue to, to hearing from truckers and um I'll 
be happy to put their stories up on Overdrive Retro. I think truckers really like reading about one another, and so that's one of the the purposes of of um, our history trucking history site now. And Lucinda, you're also on Facebook, aren't you? Um, you have an yeah, Overdrive have, Retro Facebook page. Absolutely. We have an Overdrive Retro Facebook page, and you just type in Overdrive Retro on Facebook, and you'll go to the you'll go to that page, and we put updates on there uh, fairly regularly, a couple of times a week. So, okay. uh, and we're we're connected to the Overdrive Online Facebook as well. Okay, great. I I know because a lot of times people are, especially us, we're on Facebook. And we keep it on while we're working. And, you know, you get your little notifications. And, it, and it's so easy just to send an email through Facebook or, or a post or something. Um, now, you can't send emails on Overdrive Retro, but you, you do have your own. Do you keep that as a personal page on Facebook? Or or do you get a lot of, um, you know, work-related, Overdrive Retro-related um posts on your personal Lucinda Coulter page? Uh, let's see. On the um Lucinda Facebook. Coulter Facebook, there's a I have a I have a uh, uh job account or my through the through the um editorial uh, office I guess. That's my that's my connection to the Overdrive Retro page, and I use I do use that a lot. Um, so we're probably it's just not, it's not like your personal with your kids and and family and everything. Yeah, it's not. No, it's not a personal. No, definitely okay. not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so okay, because um, I know a lot of times that's how I get you, and I, I wasn't really sure if you you know kept it just personal or not. Yeah. No, it's it's not. So. Okay. All right. Well, uh, appreciate you coming on the show again. It was good to talk to you again. Oh, thanks a lot, Alan and Don. I really appreciate it, and um, just uh, all the best to you. We uh, we appreciate what you do in, in the industry as well. You've certainly um, kind of highlighted a lot of important trucking advocates and issues uh, that we want to you know, we appreciate knowing about and finding out about different um, individuals who've kind of become their own knights of the road uh, right. for trucking and gone to fight about uh, different issues. So we appreciate so much what you all do. And well, thank uh, you thanks so a lot. much. And we're glad that Overdrive and Truckers News you know, write about these issues um, because, you know, some of the other publications just don't. And so we're really grateful for that. So it's a great synergistic relationship, huh? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It is. Well, you all have a good evening, and thanks very much for inviting us on again. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And stay in touch. We appreciate it. And uh, you can check out Overdrive. Uh, magazine at overdriveonline.com and the 50 years of overdrive at overdriveretro.com and and uh, if you haven't already be sure to read Todd's article breaking free over at overdriveonline.com forward slash breaking dash free it's a it's it's a great story great timeline of uh, trucking history 
And we'll take a quick break, and I'll be right back to wrap up this broadcast of Truth About Trucking Live. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Alan Smith will be right back. Truth About Trucking Live and AssetTrucker.com with an important message for owner-operators and fleet owners. Hot John Incorporated is a company that makes the Dynasys APU, and if you're considering an auxiliary power unit for your truck but thought you just couldn't afford it, you need to talk to the Dynasys guys about their all-new financing program. The Dynasys APU saves fuel and provides AC, heating, plug-in power, all of those comfort necessities you deserve when you have to shut down for your mandatory break. It's definitely the smart way to be comfortable and save money. Their finance program is designed to make your monthly payment nearly half of what you're spending on fuel with their goal of making APUs available for every hardworking driver. They realize that times are tough and that credit is hard to come by, so they offer four credit plans giving all owner-operators and fleet owners a guaranteed financing opportunity. They can even get you hooked up with grants that can cover APU costs as well. Give them a call at 1-800-289-8282. It's toll-free, one 800-289-8282 or just Google search Dynasys APU. Visit them online at hotjohn.com. That's H-O-D-Y-O-N.com. The Dynasys APU, the best solution to engine idling. Drivers and motor carriers face stricter guidelines from within the industry. It's never been more important to stay up to date on the ever-changing regulations and, most importantly, to always operate in compliance with those safety standards. Trans Products and Trans Services is a full-service transportation material compliance supply and regulatory service provider in business since 1957. For over 50 years, Trans Products and Trans Services has been working for drivers and motor carriers and assuring that you are always current and in compliance with all FMCSA regulations, so you'll have an entire regulatory agency working just for you. From logbook auditing to driver qualifications, file management, fuel tax and UCR filings, permit applications, on-site compliance assistance, and excellent technical service, Trans Products and Trans Services will provide the what, when, why, and how to comply without total interruption of your daily operation. So for more information on how you can have Trans Products and Trans Services working for you, give them a call at 1-800-367-9100. That's toll free, 1-800-367-9100, or find them on the web at transproducts.com. All right, we're back. Hey, wouldn't it be great if you could find an energy drink that not not only gives you the ultimate energy, but comes with a health boost as well? Well, now you can. Eight-hour day energy is the ultimate energy drink with a health boost, and it's not just another energy drink. It's a healthy alternative. 
Eight Hour Day Energy advises that it is a perfect all-in-one nutritional and energy supplement that's packed with over 140 nutritional ingredients. It has antioxidants, minerals, vitamins, super fruits, including acai, noni, goji, and mangosteen, and the list goes on and on. It's in, it comes in a two-ounce bottle to help boost your immune system. It supports heart health, aids in eye maintenance, nervous system, as well as mental alertness. And all this and more with a smooth, long-lasting energy with no jitters or crashes like you experience with a lot of these other um, energy drinks. So visit their website to grab your supply and for more information at 8hourdayenergy.com. That's the number 8, hour, H-O-U-R, dayenergy.com. 8hourdayenergy.com is made for the long haul, so make the switch today. 8hourdayenergy.com. Check them out. Our next show will be on Thursday, December 8, 2011 at 7 p.m. Eastern Time with our guest Kyla Lieberg, co-founder of Truckers Against Trafficking. And we're going to talk about Kyla's book, My Life Crazy, which details from 1996 to 98 when Kyla lived among the streets of El Salvador, which were owned and ruled by two of the most powerful gangs, and how her missionary work with these dangerous gang members and her own personal convictions and experiences led to her co-founding of Truckers Against Trafficking. It's a great book, one that you drivers can read during your 34-hour break. You can get it at Amazon.com and just search My Life Crazy or follow the link from our show description. So that's Kyla Lieberg on My Life Crazy next time on Truth About Trucking Live. Be sure to bookmark us and add us to your favorites so you can be notified of our show schedule. And thanks for joining us this evening. So until next time, for Truth About Trucking Live, I'm Alan Smith. Drive safe, and thanks for listening. Bad lease, DOT, dispatcher on me. High fuel, crazy rules, flat tire, no tools. Traffic jam, flim, flam, run around my Uncle Sam. Cheap freight, overweight, they say I'm always running late. NAFTA, messy bucks, coffee from a thermos mug. Four-wheeler switching lanes, driving crazy in the rain. Bad wreck, bottleneck, people start to rubberneck. Fire starts, people shout, stop my rig and pull them out. I'm in the trucking family.
What the hell? 